Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're going to uh, begin there this week. I've enjoyed studying this, this book. I really have. It's a good book. We're, we started last week in chapter 4 towards the end, down around verse 7, uh, where we saw a shift in the tone of his writings, where it was less about uh, this negative, heavy kind of stuff where it became more of wisdom statements, uh, more proverbial, if you will, more like the book of Proverbs in his writing. And so from chapter 4, verse 7 on through, uh, and even into chapter 5, it takes on that tone of more of, of wisdom speaking. So let's start there at verse 1. And he begins talking about when we approach God, when we approach the presence of God. Verse 1, he says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Better to draw near in obedience than to offer the sacrifice as fools do, for they ignorantly do wrong. Do not be hasty to speak, and do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven, you are on earth, so let your words be few. For dreams result from much work and a fool's voice from many words. When you make a vow to God, don't delay fulfilling it, because he does not delight in fools. Fulfill what you vow. Better that you do not vow than that you vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth bring guilt on you, and do not say in the presence of the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry with your words and destroy the works of your hand? For many dreams bring futility, so do many words. Therefore, fear God. Now let's stop and let's make some commentary about this. First of all, he's, he's talking about relationship with God. It's interesting to me that even in the Old Testament, I mean, it's easy to understand now that we have a relationship with the Lord because we have the Spirit of Christ that dwells in us. We know that when we accept Christ as our Savior, the Spirit of the living God lives in us, and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. We know that no matter where we are, no matter what time of the day it is, whether we're in a good mood or in a bad mood, God's spirit is alive and well in us. They did not know this in those days. Their relationship with God was more on a, a come and go basis, so to speak. I mean, you think about Abraham, he didn't really realize and understand that he had the presence of God with him, although the presence of God was with him. But he communicated with God through these occasional conversations that he had. I was thinking about it just last night. Uh, we were sitting out at the campsite, and <clears throat> Donna was looking up and gazing up into the sky, and she said, she said, do you see any stars? And I said, oh, I see all kinds of stars. She said, well, how many do you see? And I said, I can't count them all. And I immediately thought of Abraham, who the Lord had said, he said, look at the sky, look at the stars, and if you could count them, 
then that will be the number of your offspring or your, the generations that will come from your seed. And it just reminded me of that. But Abraham's relationship with God was different than ours. Same with Moses. And, and I could go on and on with these Old Testament relationships where they understood their relationship with God more as an approaching him than as in our case where we live in him. The scripture says, in him we live and move and have our being. So I really don't have to approach God in that sense because he's here with me. But in the Old Testament days, it was a more of this external approach to God. And so he starts off by saying, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Be careful how you arrive. It struck me how different would our worship services be sometimes if, if everyone would guard their steps as they are on their way to the house of worship. Man, if everybody was forward thinking, man, I'm going to the Lord's house today. It doesn't matter to me what I'm going through. It doesn't matter what I have to face. I'm going to the Lord's house. And, and remember what David said. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Early this morning, Sitting at the campfire, and my phone buzzed, and it was a young man uh, who attends our church on Sundays, but not on Wednesdays. He said, what time does church start tonight? Do you have classes for the kids? And uh, how about nursery? I said, yep, we start at 7. We have classes for the kids, and we have nursery. He said, I'll see you there tonight. And they're sitting by that campfire. I'm saying, oh, praise God, hallelujah. You know, here, here's someone... Who, who is excited about coming and being in the Lord's house. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of the Lord. And then he says, better to draw near in obedience than to offer the sacrifice as fools do, for they ignorantly do wrong. Now, what was the sacrifice? Any, you, feel free to talk to me tonight. What was the sacrifice that he was talking about here? Anybody have an idea? Yeah, well, yeah, he was talking about the sacrifice for sinfulness. You know, when they approached God, they had to offer a sacrifice uh, to make sure that all of their sin was covered. Now, we know that our sin is covered by the blood because under the new covenant, <clears throat> there was blood shed once for all. But in the Old Testament, they had to bring sacrifice every time. So, so what he's saying here is that it would be better to approach God having lived a life of obedience to the things of God rather than coming knowing that you've made no effort whatsoever to be obedient to the principles of God. And so you're going to come and you're going to offer this sacrifice for sin because you know that you need your sins to be covered. And I, you know, I know people and you know people that way. They, they, they live any way they want to live all week long. But then when they come to the house of the Lord, all of a sudden they want to be righteous, holy people of God. But you know, it's not a garment that you take off. It, it is who you are in Christ. Paul said, it is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. So when you see me, you're not seeing an individual with a cloak of righteousness on or a cloak of holiness on. I am holy. I am righteous, 
because God has made me so through the blood of Jesus Christ. But it was very different there. So he's saying, it'd be better for you to just buck up and do what you know that God expects of you than to have to come to the house of God and offer all of these sacrifices. He said, even the fools know to do that. That's what he's saying. That, but they do it ignorantly. They don't even really know how to approach God because they're not in relationship with him. Verse 2, do not be hasty to speak and do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven. You are on earth. So let your words be few. Now, again, you have to take this from the Old Testament covenant where their belief and their understanding of the revelation of God was that God was up in heaven and that they were on earth. And so his point here is, is that who are you? And Job, Job gets into it with God on a regular basis. How, how many of you read the book of Job and really studied it out? And God and Job just go back and forth and back and forth. And God tells him, who do you think you are? You know, to, to speak to me that way. Who, how, how do you know what I did when I formed the earth? And when I put it all together? Who are you? And at the final, finally in the last chapter, and I've always loved this, he said, Lord, he said, I'd heard about you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes have seen you. This conversation back and forth between you and I have given me a clarity of vision that I never had before and a revelation that I've never had before. And this is, this is what Solomon is saying. He said, don't come in here and start telling God how to run his business. Don't come in here and just hastily start in on God. You know, there, there are times that, that I'll be praying and, and I recognize that I'm telling God what to do. I'm telling, I've got it all planned out here, God. You know, if you'll just do this, this, and this, then I know then this, this, and this will be the result. And very often I hear the Spirit of the Lord say to me, but what if I have more for you? What if, if I do it this way, your blessing is multiplied over the way that you have it figured out. And so when I hear the voice of the Spirit speak to me that way, I very hastily say, thy will be done. Amen. Amen. Not my will, but thy will be done. Yes. Amen. So, I mean, really, who am I? And he's saying, look, God's in heaven. And what he's talking about is God's perspective over things. His viewpoint over things. He's the God who knows the end from the beginning. He created it all. He knows how everything works. He's aware of everything. And so he has this perspective that you don't have. So he's saying, don't come in here and start shooting your mouth off hastily before God. Give God an opportunity to share with you what you need. He, he says, don't be impulsive. Don't be hasty to speak. Don't be impulsive to make a speech because God is heaven. He says, let your words be few. Sometimes some of the most powerful praying that we can do is just being quiet before God. Just shutting up and letting the spirit of the Lord, the voice of the Lord speak to you. He said, well, I've never heard. Well, it's because you don't understand that God, I'm not saying he doesn't and can't. God doesn't speak audibly, usually. He speaks to your spirit, man. It comes into your heart, into your spirit, into your mind. It may come through a confirmation of the word of God as you're reading it and you say, oh, 
Uh, that's exactly it right there. I needed to hear that. I understand it. Yes, Terry. He has to be a doctor. I'm, yeah, I'm not saying it can't happen. I mean, obviously, it's happened historically before. I've never heard a, an audible voice unless it came through someone else. Because I've had people come to me and say, you know, I think I have a word from the Lord for you, and so I want, I want you to hear it, and then I have to determine whether or not it's from God or not. Yeah, and so, I, yeah, I'm obviously not saying that God can't do that. I'm just saying usually, usually, God uses his word, or he uses a, a, an inclination in our minds as to, to what is the right way to go. And then he'll send confirmations of his spirit. Sometimes we have to fight through those times. Because a lot of times if we're on the right track, the enemy knows it and he'll fight it. <clears throat> and that's where you have to do what I was saying Sunday. You have to keep knocking. When you know you're at the right door and the answer is behind, it's, it's like, uh, what is it? The price is right or whatever it is. Which door do you want? Uh, what, uh, let's make a deal. That's what it is. Do you want door number one, door number two, or door number three? Once you pick number three or whatever it is, stick with it. Just hang in there because you, you have to be persistent. But you, you have to get that in mind. So he says, let your words be few. Then he says in verse three, for dreams result from much work and a fool's voice from many words. Now, what's he talking about here? Is he, is he talking about laying down to sleep and having a dream? Or is he talking about the formation of a plan as you're thinking about or a, a, a particular course of action? So in other words, I'm going to start this business and my dream for this. I, I was just sharing that the other day with Stephanie, who is leading our orphan walk in October. And I was sharing with her what my dream is or what my vision is. I said, this year I want our church to be involved in raising the funds for these orphanages by doing this walk. But next year, I, I want other churches to join with us. I, I want it to be more than just spirit life. I, I want Highview to be with us. And I want Solid Rock to be with us. And I want Church of the Harvest to be with us. And I want Dixie Valley to be with us. And I want... And on and on the list of these churches could go so that we're combined. We have 17 Church of God congregations in Louisville, and we need to be working together. Let me just take a side note here for a moment. Um, I haven't been very successful in six years getting the pastors together and working together for, for, towards that kind of thing. I've tried. I've invited them I have offered, you know, my services. I've done everything I can. So finally, Jonathan and I decided that we're going to go in the back door. And we're going to start with our staff members, their youth pastors and their children's pastors. and their. So Jonathan has been meeting with the youth pastors and the children's pastors. And they've been putting these district rallies together for the youth. And last, was it Friday night, Donna? Last Friday night, they all met down here at... Um, Marysville, what's the name of it now? Radiant Life Church of God, uh, where Pastor John Loudermilk is. The youth pastors got together and decided they were going to do this Friday night youth, Saturday nights when it was. Saturday night youth service, they had, a, they had a house full of young people in there 
worshiping and praising the Lord and all, all the old pastors that were at home uh, nursing their bad knees and that kind of thing, and these young guys uh, were out there getting the job done. I said, look, I realize it may not come through me. That's all right with me. But we ought to be working together, and if the old guys won't do it, then the young generation needs to rise up and say, we're going to combine our efforts and do this. And my dream, my vision is somewhere down the road, we're not going to be walking around Highview Park. We're going to be walking across Big Four Bridge, and WDRB is going to be there with their, fat, with their, with their cameras taking pictures and, of it and saying, the, the church of God is turning this city upside down for Jesus Christ. Well, it has to start somewhere. So that's a, that, that's a, that's a dream. It, it's a vision. It, it, is, it is putting something together in your mind. And, and what he's talking about here is, he said, dreams re re result from much work and a fool's voice from many words. So here's what he's talking about, two contrasting positions. He's talking about people who work hard to obtain their dreams as opposed to fools that just stand around and talk about it. Did you ever, did you ever know anybody like that? Man, I've, known, I've known guys that they could come up with plans better than anybody that I ever knew in my life, but they could never pull one off. And all they could do is talk about it. And sometimes you got to get the shovel and start digging. Sometimes you got to start tilling up the ground. Sometimes you, you have to put fertilizer on the ground. Whatever it is you have to do, these things don't magically happen. We were talking about that before church about I just can't get in my head how people have this mindset that if all I got to do is pray about it and then God will just take care of it. It'll just magically happen. No, 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 no. The scripture says that the people who are blessed are not those who just hear the word, but those who hear the word and do it. And the blessing comes in the doing. You got to do what scripture says. You can't be like the fools and just stand around and talk about it. You got you to dig in. You got to make it happen. You got to make these principles part of your lifestyle, part of what you do. And then it begins to flesh out. Verse 4, when you make a vow to God, don't delay fulfilling it because he does not delight in fools. Fulfill what you vow. He says, and here's the key. He said, number one, don't vow to God. You shouldn't even make a vow to God because in our humanity, it's very difficult to do in our humanity what we can only do in the Spirit of God. So when we start telling God all that we're going to do, we may get ourselves positioned in such a way that we can't pull it off, and then we've made a promise to God that we cannot keep. And now again, Old Testament, he's not thinking about grace. He's thinking about judgment. Because under the Old Covenant, that's the way it was. You mess with God, He's liable to strike you dead with lightning. In the new covenant, it's a thing called grace. Let me introduce you to a thing called grace where God forgives. But he said, when you make a, a, a vow, if you're going to, do it now. Don't delay. Don't put it off. 
What's a word that describes that? Anybody? That's exactly it. You nailed it the first time around. Boy, don't we love to procrastinate, though. Don't we just love to wait until the last minute to do anything? And, and he said, don't do that. Don't delay, because he doesn't delight in people who just stand around and talk about it. That's what he's telling me. He said, he doesn't delight in fools. Well, what do the fools do? The fools are the ones who just stand around and talk about it, while the dreamers and the visionaries are doing what God has enabled them to do. So don't make a vow to God and delay in it because God gets no kicks out of just listening to you stand around and talk about it. Now, I remember this old guy that grew up in the church that I grew up in, and we'd have revivals three or four times a year. And, and, and you know, if you smoke, don't get upset with me right now. I don't care if you smoke or not. It's a, that, that's between you and God. I'm not... I'm not I'm not going to chase you down and take your cigarettes away from you. But back in the old day, that's, that, that was with every altar call that was given in the Pentecostal church. Bless God, if you're going to please God, you got to bring them cigarettes up here to the altar. You got to stop your drinking. You got to stop messing around with them women. You got to stop going to them movies. You got to stop. And every revival we had, this one guy, he'd come up and he'd throw those cigarettes up on the on the altar every time, and he'd say, and you'd, oh God, oh God, I'm gonna, you know, and he, he's making this vow before God, and I think before he got out to the parking lot every night, he had a backup, pat, you know, in the, in the back, because he'd be out in the parking lot and smoking, and this is what he's talking about, don't make vows to God if you're not going to keep those vows, and we're going to see why here in just a minute, and don't do that, it's like, <laughs> it's like, that story was a true story, but they told one preacher that said he had a guy in his church, he'd do that all the time too. Every time they'd have an altar call, he'd come up, he'd throw those cigarettes up on there and he'd say, oh God, take your big broom of heaven and sweep the cobwebs out of my heart. And he'd pray it every time. And finally the pastor, he looked down at him and he said, hey, God ain't after the cobweb, sir. He's after the spider. There you go. There you go. He said, don't make a vow to God and delay in fulfilling it because he doesn't delight in fools who just stand around and talk about it, but do what you vow. Then verse 5, better that you do not vow than that you vow and not fulfill it. Don't let your mouth bring guilt on you and do not say in the presence of the messenger that it was a mistake. Who's the messenger? Who's the messenger? Probably, historically, it fits with the concept of the angels because they didn't believe that they could commune with God one-on-one, -on -one, that they had messengers, angels, and we have plenty of examples in Old Testament scripture where Gabriel came and had conversations with, with man, uh, 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 Michael came and had conversations with man. Even Christ himself in what theologians call Christophanies, where they believe that Christ took angelic form, if you will, and came and, and visited with mankind. Um, and, and so, you know, we don't know. 
But he says, do not say in the presence of the messengers that it was a mistake. Why should God be, now listen to this, why should God be angry with your words and destroy the work of your hands? For many dreams bring futility, so do many words, therefore fear God. Why should God be angry with your words and destroy the work of your hand? That kind of makes it sound like God's a meanie pants, doesn't it? God's just out to destroy the work of your hands. But really what he's trying to say here is that when you make vows and you do not keep them, the natural progression of that kind of thing leads to failure. Now in their day, the way that they made sense of all of that is is that God must have cursed the work of my hands. So that's the way they understood that. That's the way, that's the revelation that they had of God in those days. They didn't, they didn't have the same revelation that we have. Although let me point out to you that even in days of grace, God is not going to bless anything that is contrary to his will. He will not. If he has to stop it, he'll stop it. If he has to advance it, he'll advance it. But that was the revelation. So why, why should God be angry with your words and destroy the work of your hand? He said, many dreams bring futility, so do many words. He said, if all you do is just talk all the time, it's nothing but futile. Yap, 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 yap. And when I get old enough, I'm going to do this. And when I get enough money, I'm going to do this. And when I get to a certain place in my life, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to have four children, and three of them are going to be prophets of God. And on and on and on and on and on. And we talk about, and we make all these plans, and we just yap our mouth and yap our mouth and yap our mouth. And he's saying, stop it. Let your words be few. Speak only of those things that you can say with confidence that God is going to do this through me. And don't have a hundred different visions. Don't have a different, you know, get one dream, one vision. I guess in my old days, I've gotten old and cantankerous. Saturday, somebody called me an old ox. So I don't, I'm not real sure what they meant by that. You know, oxes were hard workers. So maybe in that light, I can take it as a good thing. But they actually called me an old ox. And I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm not exactly sure what you mean by it, but I receive it in the name of the Lord. <laughs> I just, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm at this point, point in my life, I am who I am. I am what I am. And I just, I do what God's called me to do. I don't know what else to do. And that's what he's really saying here. Is, is focus in on what God has asked you to do, what God has called you to do. Don't be constantly trying to bring about a new vision and a, and a new idea and a new revelation and a new dream and a new way of this and that. And, and listen, I'm not trying to say that churches and organizations don't move forward with the times. Obviously, you have to. If you're going to reach a generation that will perpetuate the ministries of the church, you have to somehow balance all of that. But what he's saying is, is that if you're trying to fulfill 12 visions at one time, you're not going to do any of them well. So focus in 
Oh, it's like, it's like you, you decided you, you're going to change your spouse. I'm going to make them into an entirely different individual. When I get done with them, you won't even recognize them. And you sit down with a piece of paper and you write down 24 things that you're going to change by the 30th of, of September. And you ain't going to change none of them unless you decide to change one at a time. And then you're only going to change them if they want to be changed. And the reality is, it's probably not going to be them that do, does the changing. It's going to be you that's going to be doing the changing. Because you can't change anybody else, but you can change yourself. So he said, many dreams bring futility, so do many words. Therefore, just, just simply fear God. In other words, accept what he has placed in your life. Any questions about that or comments before we move on? Anyone? Okay. Now he starts talking about rich people. Mm, boy. He says, if you see the oppression of the poor and perversion of justice and righteousness in the province, don't be astonished at the situation because one official protects another official and higher officials protect them. The profit from the land is taken by all, and the king is served by the field. Now listen, this idea of getting a, the, the, the Republicans in power or getting the Democrats in power, if we, can, if we can just get the Democrats in power or if we can just get the Republicans in power, it's all going to change. You know, where I grew up, we have a word for that. Bull-loney. <laughs> it, it's not going to change because they're all going to take care of one another and protect one another's backside. And the only thing that is going to continue is that you and I are going to work hard and create the world that we're living in as we're living in it they have no understanding of what it is that we're going through and what we're living through. None whatsoever. And when it's all over, somebody, I, let me read this. I saw it today, loved it, shared it. It won't take me but just a second. I don't get much involved in politics. I did like this though. Let me see if I can find it. There it is right there. You ready? Long after this election is over, Trump and Hillary will still be rich. Half, as, half of us will be able to claim that we won. The other half will have four years to say, that's what I didn't vote for. Just remember, we live in a different America than they do. We have to live, work, and eat with each other in our America. We don't get to hop on private jets and fly away from community problems. We are what makes this country what it is, not the president. He slash she will not stop crime in our neighborhoods. He slash she won't stop people from stealing your identity, will not stop anyone from shooting up our local nightclubs, which none of us go to, by the way. <laughs> Hillary will not come teach your child right from wrong, but you can. Trump will not come to your home and teach your child math, but you can. We as a united people with sound morals, values, and ethics can make this country whatever we want it to be. 
Vote for whomever you want. But remember, we are the ones that shape our communities, not them. That's about the smartest thing that I've heard through this whole political process. Because whoever is elected president, and I've been saying, somebody said, oh, you're smart. And I wrote back and I said, I stole it. Somebody else said it, but I'm just passing it, passing it along. I stole it. But I have said some things pretty similar to that. So the kings will protect the kings, will protect the kings, will protect the kings. And what will continue is that the prophet from the land will be taken by all and the king will profit from the labor of our hand. We're going to pay more taxes until the day we die so that they can buy better jets to fly around in as they're escaping our communities. The one who loves money is never satisfied with money, verse 10. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This too is futile. When good things increase, the ones who consume them multiply. What then is the profit to the owner except to gaze at them with his eyes? And the sleep of the worker is sweet. Whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich permits him no sleep. Here's what he's saying. It, it doesn't matter how much money you love, you'll never come to a place where you're satisfied with what you have. You'll be like the guy in the New Testament that always wants to build more barns. More barns, more barns, more barns. When will we ever get it in our heads that we're not taking any of it with us when we die? And so we have to be stewards of what God has placed in our hands. So how do we do that? How do we steward the money that we have? Well, we, we give to spiritual things first. People don't understand this. We tithe first. Before everything else, we tithe first. I am a spirit before I am a body. I am a man of God before I'm a husband, before I'm a father, before am I, I am a son, or, or before you're a daughter. We are spiritual in nature. Therefore, what we have in our hands, we are to be stewards of over spiritual things and the kingdom of God. And he's talking in the natural realm. He says, it doesn't matter how much you have, how much you love your money, your money is never going to satisfy you. It will be the investment that you make into the kingdom of God that will bring contentment and satisfaction in your life. That is what will bring joy. And verse 11, I love, when good things increase, the ones who consume them multiply. What does that mean? The more you have, the more friends that you'll have. <laughs> you know, pe people who play the lottery and win it, the first thing they do, the first thing they tell them to do is get you a lawyer and get you a financial advisor. Don't even tell your wife you won until you get you a lawyer. And no, I'm just kidding. Tell your wife. Why do I need a lawyer? Why do I need a financial advisor? 
Because when all of your cousins that you didn't even know were your cousins start showing up on your door, you need some protection. And it happens when you, if you were to, you win the Super Bowl or Super Bowl, excuse me, I probably if you won the Super Bowl too, if you won, I'm telling you people would come out of the woodwork. Did you, I got to quit. We'll, we'll take up here next, next week. Prince, everybody knows who Prince is, right? Prince died here a few weeks ago, a few months ago, had no will had millions of dollars and a vault of songs that have never been released. They think that all of it could, could amount to billions of dollars and had no will. And now everybody is coming forward and saying, I was his love son. I was his love child. I was his love daughter. He got... People that he never even heard of before all of a sudden want to be his child and, and his wife far removed and cousin. I'm, 20, I'm his 21st cousin. And got blood in there, so I, need, I get part of it. That's what he's saying. He saying, you better be careful now. When you get so much money that it'll, it'll just be consumed by everything and everyone else. And it will not bring you joy, but instead it will fill you with frustration because of the, the confusion and the chaos that ensues around your life because of the money that you have. We'll get into it next week, though, how he talks about what you should do with those riches and those funds and the money that you have. Because God didn't put it in your hands just so you can have a bigger house, better car, and all that. The seed that... that the, the, the seed that is given you uh, by God is provided so that you can sow it into other things and bring harvest. And we'll talk about that next week. Father, thank you for a good night tonight, good day, good week, good, good tomorrow, good life. Boy, you're a good, good father. I thank you for every blessing that you've bestowed upon us. Thank you for your word. Let us get it deep into us. Help it to get to that place in our spirit that will change us so that we can be better men and women of God. Keep your hand of protection upon us. Go with us as we go our separate ways. Bring us back Sunday, and we'll give you all the praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.